0: Hello and welcome to Time to Talk, the podcast that brings you important conversations about health in a digestible form. I am your host, Dr. Claire Gilvray from Cognitive Sports Therapy. I bring you over 20 years of clinical experience. So sit back or pop on your trainers and head out the door and let's go. Great, so that's us live. Um hello, this is um Dr. Claire Gilfang from Cognitive Sports Therapy, and I am absolutely delighted today to um have Rennie McGregor with me. Um Rennie, I don't know that you necessarily need that much of an introduction these days. You're you're famous, so um I have your book, Orthorexia, sitting on my um, bedside table and I love it. Um but Rennie, you have been a sports dietitian for a long time now. Lots of experience working Olympic teams, Commonwealth teams, English ballet, um, with a, a real sort of special interest in female athletes, sort of triad, sort of reds, which is now being um, labelled as, label the right word, diagnosed as, um, and um, as a founder for Train Brave, Train, yeah, Train Brave, and um, the new kind of um, campaign to sort of increase awareness around reds. Um, so I, I just I was really keen to get you on I think we were just talking before we came on air to do with a lot of information that is in this sort of space to do with sports and nutrition and diet um particularly I guess in the world of social media and this need to feel that there is um correct information out there um and we only do these interviews for sort of 15 minutes and it's like such a small time to get everything from your brain across. <laughs> But we thought we could spend a little bit of time thinking about um, patients, I guess, that I see a lot, which are patients who maybe um, don't um, fall into what we would necessarily recognize as an eating disorder. So either they've been to see a doctor who's looked them up and down and said, you don't have a problem, or they've done that themselves and felt like they don't even want to walk in the door of a doctor's to have that conversation. So people whose weight maybe is normal, people whose weight is high, and how we treat them best and, and how we can um, help them. I'd love to hear your take.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely see the majority of people in this category. Like, although I do work with individuals that have um, a very low weight as well, because we're doing most of our work in the community, I definitely have a policy around kind of how low, low someone's weight can be, how cognitively impacted they can be so that they can actually get the, the right care. And there's only so much you can do in the community. So I guess one of my biggest worries at the moment is that there are lots of people that have a disordered and dysfunctional relationship with food, and it might not really fit any sort of diagnostic criteria as such. Um, and it, kind of frustrates me that they then get turned away because they don't fit the typical and even though we now have atypical bulimia and atypical anorexia it still doesn't mean these individuals get the support and the help they need because I don't understand why to be fair like from from a practitioner point of view I don't understand when someone is presenting and telling you they're suffering, and it's clear that they're suffering, and it's clear that they have a really, really traumatic and dysfunctional relationship with themselves, with their bodies, with food, with exercise, why that's not taken seriously. I find it very hard to understand that. You know, how any practitioner can turn somebody away in that situation. You know, even just today, I had someone contact me over Instagram saying, you know, I've been to my doctor, I've told them I haven't got a period, I've told them that I'm struggling, I, and yet, because I look normal, my BMI is normal, they've basically told me there's nothing wrong with me. Well, you can't tell somebody there's nothing wrong with them if they are telling you they are having a hard time. Yeah. Right. So, so I guess I really struggle with this, and, uh, yes, the work we do, we generally work with individuals who come from some form of athletic background now that doesn't mean they have to be elite level that could be in their recreational level that could mean that they were like junior level it can even just mean somebody who enjoys participating in the fitness world as such but has maybe taken it so far that it's become more of a dependency it's become something they feel they have to do rather than something they enjoy doing but of course when you have individuals presenting like this they tend to um have a slightly higher lean uh, muscle mass, so that then disguises what their real weight can be for a start. but also it's almost deemed as acceptable because you're you're actually employing healthy lifestyle and that's the bit that I think that's what orthorexia, the book was all about was trying to help people realize that some of these kind of so-called wellness trends, so-called healthy, Um, behaviours that we are promoting in the world of social media are perhaps perhaps most likely more dysfunctional and can be a way in which people can disguise behind what's really going on. Um, So yeah, I guess we definitely need to be educating people more. On a positive note, finally, um, I've been part of the international task force for orthorexia for the last five years since I wrote the book and finally we have come to a conclusion over some more definitive diagnostic criteria and that is now being submitted. So as a consensus group that is now being submitted and hopefully it will be taken up by the DSM and I think that will then actually help us and help medics and psychologists and other practitioners to have a much more formal understanding of this I guess this massive spectrum of people that don't fit into any of these classified eating disorders naturally but still warrant help and support.
0: And I guess it's filtering that down to sort of personal trainers and fitness coaches as well isn't it? So if you're part of the Olympic team for example you will get access to sports and um, dietitian inputs etc. but if you're part of a sort of amateur kind of setup and there's just maybe one coach there who isn't really aware of all of these issues as you say that they they don't have the training and they've got people who are kind of listening to them it's really important that this message gets to them
1: yeah although i would say claire that you know unfortunately the majority of practitioners that work within even elite level sports particularly from a nutrition point of view are not dietitians they tend to be nutritionists now that's not a problem nutritionists are great however they don't have the clinical training and background so they may not always pick up on certain things so from my point of view as a dietitian and i worked in the clinical world for a number of years before i moved into sport you know you learn how to read blood test results for example so you can have a look and you can you can pick something up quite quickly you know when i work with ballet we do health screening every twice a year and the point of that health screening is to be able to pick up any potential red flags it's not to say there is a problem you can pick it up. You know, if we see an abnormal potassium or we see an abnormal sodium or we see abnormal lung, uh, liver function tests or abnormal thyroid function tests, then I can pick that up and have a conversation with that dancer to ascertain what is really going on here. You know, are they making themselves sick? Are they overexercising? Are they not fueling properly? You can pick things up from blood tests. And this is where there's a real big distinct difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist. And I think the other thing about dietitians is that we tend to get a lot more behavioral therapy training within our training, so yeah. again, we can really help athletes and individuals to start to understand more of the psychology behind food and actually, especially in this in this particular context that we're discussing, where food really isn't the problem, food has just become the problem, it's become the thing. That they're using has become the medium with which they're trying to express possibly their suffering possibly their anger possibly a method of uh, avoiding their discomfort and disease they feel within themselves but food is not actually the problem food is just the medium because it's something you can
0: actually do you know it's, it's, it's,
1: it's you can do something with um if isn't it? Because I,
0: I work with um, people who maybe have issues around alcohol or around drugs, for example, and you can get rid of them. Mm. The problem that I have with um, patients who obviously have, have food as their coping mechanism for whatever is going on in their life is that they do still need to eat and and how you kind of work around that for them or help them with that.
1: Yeah, it's really tricky. And I think... The biggest impact I feel I make when I'm working with a new client is firstly to help them to understand that this is not about food. I think you have to get that really clear. And by explaining to them around you know human behavior and how humans don't like feeling uncomfortable, we don't like negative emotions, so we will most likely try and find a method to avoid that. You know, as you said, addiction is one of those methods of avoiding it, over-exercising, alcohol, drugs, sex, all these things are methods and ways of avoiding conflict within ourselves, uncomfortable feelings, trauma, emotions, whatever it is that, that's been happening for you. When you can help the individual to kind of understand that, you almost can then sort of separate it a little bit, and then you can start to rebuild their relationship, not just with themselves, but also with food. And it's, you know, like by helping them to understand that they don't like difficult circumstances, you can then help them to understand uncertainty. You know, so much of the fear is the uncertainty of the un- if I eat that, this is gonna happen. Because that's what they tell themselves. They create these limiting beliefs. Yeah. The limiting beliefs provide this false sense of security. And it is a false sense of security. It's not. You know, it's not truth. It's not fact. And so a lot of the work I do is actually getting my clients to think and question. Well, how's that worked out for you? What has that led to? How does that serve you? Have you noticed that it's delivered what it promised? And really trying to get them to understand that. But then also a lot about how important it is to nourish and feed the body. You know, if you don't nourish the body, then you can't function, your brain can't function properly, your nervous system can't function properly. And if your nervous system's not functioning properly, you can't emotionally regulate and respond in a more rational and appropriate manner. So there's a lot of education that goes on in the work that I do in terms of helping people to understand their behavior. And if you can can teach somebody about their behavior and why they need it, then they can start to become more self-aware of when this behavior is is dominant and how, how do I separate myself from it? If you don't teach them about how to understand what's going on for them, yeah. and you just focus on weight restoration, or you just focus on trying to eat three meals a day or giving them a meal plan, they're never gonna be able to move forward.
0: And that kind of does lead into that world of of how we use movement and how we use exercise to help ourselves, isn't it? Like the, that, that, that thought that we're doing it to be healthy can then unfortunately then unravel and become the very thing that is in the center of making us unhealthy whenever we tip over into over exercising mm. what's you what it's interesting isn't that some people go there very easily and some people can st- stay on the healthy side what what is that again to do with what other things that are going on for them in the background do you think what, what's I your, think
1: yeah, I think probably anybody that has some sort of dependency, whatever that dependency is, they probably, I mean, you all know this more better than me, but they they probably have more of an obsessive compulsive behaviour trait within them. And unfortunately, then it's that kind of catalogue events that happens to them and, and the kind of sequence of hormonal changes even within them and, and then how that affects their brain that can lead to this very sort of dysfunctional relationship. But I think... Also, we cannot we cannot dismiss the fact that you know our, our society underpins quite a lot as well. You know, in the sense that I definitely believe very much so that eating disorders, exercise addiction, any sort of addiction is not about social media. I don't think social media causes any of it, but I think it contributes and is very much one of the facets to the bigger picture but you know like I see on social media so many people talking about diet culture diet culture diet culture and it's like actually that's that's not the reason why somebody has an eating disorder or a dysfunctional relationship with exercise it might play into it it might inform and create sort of emotions and feelings around what you should do
0: yeah
1: it's not the actual cause that the cause is most likely the fact that an individual is predisposed to it from a genetic point of view, and you put that person in the right psychosocial space, and that's where the diet culture feeds in. Yeah. Put that person in the right psychosocial space, and that then creates the perfect storm, which is why not everybody ends up with a problem. But I think where we need to educate people is all we hear all the time is that we should move for our mental health, we should move for our mental health. But actually, there's a real difference between movement, exercise, and training. And so... When I'm working with somebody who has a very complicated relationship with exercise, one of the things we do is is educate around these three different aspects Mm -hmm. and help them to understand that movement is just gentle movement. It's a 20-minute walk, quietly, enjoying being outdoors and letting the outdoors benefit you. You know, exercise is much more about participation, but it's about your health. So it's about both your mental health and your physical health so it might be something you participate with a friend or within a team and you get the real benefit of that surrounding yeah training is much more I'm training for an event so I need to be quite specific but even in that then using a coach that can help you to periodize your training through the week can ensure that you are not doing too many hard sessions you're you know you are getting that balance of maybe 80-20 if you're a runner is kind of what we, we we kind of tend to suggest. And I think this is where it, it's so difficult to ascertain because if you're then if you on social media scrolling all day long and you're following certain people, all you're going to see is hit, 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 hit. Keep pushing harder. The harder you push, the better it's going to be. At least keep motivated. Like all you see all day long in the fitness world is this. And you also see abnormal body types that are most likely not fertile and not healthy. But yet again, we've made that, we've normalized that that is what we should all be trying to attain. And I think something I want to really talk about really, really quickly is as a woman, as as a woman in her 40s, it's so important when you're looking on social media, that when you're looking at other women, particularly PTs, fitness influencers, etc. Absolutely, first of all, we shouldn't be comparing anyway. But it's human nature, and we probably will. Yeah. Can we please just ask women and men to stop and think, is that personal trainer in their 40s? Has that personal trainer had a baby? Has that personal trainer ever had a period? Like, you have to stop and ask yourself, Why am I comparing my body to this person when they are completely different to me? And they will never be me. Like, you know, I'm an individual that has a very good relationship with my body. And like most women, it's not perfect in any formal manner, but it's strong and it is powerful and it gets me to do the things I wanna do with it. But I've also given birth twice. And albeit my children are much older, there are certain things that probably will never quite go back to normal. But that's okay, because it's given birth twice, and that shows how amazing it is. Yeah. But I think it's really important to put things into context and, and get, and people need to stop and ask the question, how relevant it is this to me in every aspect, from exercise to food to the body? Because we can't all be the same, yeah. and what works for one person is not going to work for another.
0: I love that. And I, I think maybe just as a final comment as well, is, is that it's worth investing in. I don't know whether you feel that yourself, is that on social media, you're, that person doesn't know you at all. So investing in a coach or a dietitian or both is can be really helpful. I see a lot of people spend a lot of money on very fancy trainers or very fancy kits and then skip the corner on the, the very person who might be able to help you with this. So I don't know whether that's something that um, is worth putting out there as well to get a bit personal
1: help with it? Definitely. I think, I mean, I see it all the time. People want to invest in their health, but they'll go and buy the most expensive food ingredient or they'll, you know, go to the most expensive class that there is out there. And yet they won't pay for someone to help them with their hypothalamic amenorrhea to get their period back because that doesn't seem as relevant. And yet that's the thing that's probably going to help your health the most.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Renee. It's really, it's gone past 15 minutes. It goes really quickly, Um, but thanks so much for coming. I always say at the end, if anyone's got any questions, please feel free to message me and I can um, pass them on to Renee. But um, thanks so much. It's a massive topic to cover in 15 minutes, but hopefully we've kind of helped um, some people out there. My pleasure. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening. This has been Time to Talk with Dr. Claire Gilvray from Cognitive Sports Therapy, wishing you a strong mind, body and breath.